But if you don't try, you know what the answer is. The answer is always no if you never try. So if you try, then you, you at least have an opportunity to do it. And so I, I spend a lot of time trying and I kiss a lot of frogs. Welcome to Helium Podcast. Christine Ogilvie Hendren here with Matt Hosey. You just heard Bruce Rittman giving advice about how to apply for funding throughout your career. Bruce Rittman is the director of the Environmental Biotechnology Center at the Biodesign Institute at Arizona State University, where he is also a regents professor in the School of Sustainable Engineering and the Built Environment. As you'll hear more of, Professor Rittman is extremely personable and down-to-earth, though he's booked over 40 years in academia and has reached multiple pinnacles of success over that time. You might not expect a person of Dr. Rittman's stature who's both in the National Academies for Engineering and for Science, to say that self-doubt still resonates with him sometimes. But he was extremely honest and forthright throughout this episode about his processes for practicing the outgoing role when he identifies actually as an introverted person. And actually how some of these processes and how some of the things that he's learned has actually given him an advantage in his career. Yeah, such a good point. Um, You may have heard Matt mention in the outros of previous episodes that my husband, Zach Hendren, helps edit our show. And he is a self-identified introvert. And I will offer that he says he's already put some of Bruce's advice into practice, just thinking about how to take on certain roles and act in line of the requirements of that role without thinking that you have to do anything to change your natural personality type. So I think that that advice is really useful for all personality types in taking on leadership, thinking of what's needed for success in each part of your research life, while also thinking about how to lean into who you really are. Yeah, some of the things that you're going to learn in this episode are playing the role of an outgoing person and practicing it on a regular basis. You're going to learn about creative funding approaches and how Dr. Rittman sometimes has to kiss some of the frogs that he needs to get his funding in his career. And also how Dr. Rittman's management approach is influenced by his introverted nature. And finally, we get into a little bit about how he balances his work life with his life life. Yeah, we really hope you enjoy this episode with Professor Bruce Rittman, who I think you'll find is really just a happy person that is a great uh, role model for anybody. Today, we're welcome to the podcast, Professor Bruce Rittman of ASU. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, we wanted to open with this question because, you know, you have so many accolades. You just won the Stockholm Water Prize in 2018, which wasn't so long ago. You're a National Academies of Engineering member in two different disciplines. Uh, It looks like you've also started your own small business as well. And some people would be surprised to learn that you describe yourself as a shy person. Mm. And, and for those early career researchers out there in our audience who think of themselves as shy people, what advice would you have for them in terms of their career starting out in academia? Well, the first thing is, it's true. I, I am a very shy person. For example, I really don't like parties with lots of people. I really feel like I have no idea what to do. So, There are two things about being shy, but still being successful. The first thing I discovered about myself, and I think it's true for a lot of other people like me, is we have 
two personalities. We have our sort of our regular personality. For me, that's my shy personality. And we have what I call our stage personality. So if I'm giving a talk or I'm in front of a class, something like that, where it's my job, my role, I like the word role, my role to relate to people, to tell people things, to, you know, to get them interested and excited about it, my personality changes. I, and I'm, I'm a really high, you know, high energy, very outgoing. People who know me first from that setting have no idea that I'm really very shy. They're, also, they're quite surprised when they find the real me behind the you know, stage. <laughs> so a lot of people are that way, and it's quite fine to do that. And it's actually a good thing to, to recognize is that you can do it, that you can just turn on a different personality and you can be, you know, your, your outgoing emotive person. So that's the first thing. The, the second thing is that I've learned I, I can develop social skills. It's not easy for me to do this, uh, but I can actually do it with some practice and some goading from my wife and like that. <laughs> um, and, it does take practice. It really takes practice. So going to a party and mixing with people and introducing myself and all that, this is really painful, but I can do it and I practice it. And I found over the years uh, that I've gotten reasonably good at it uh, and I can do it. And so, you know, a little practice and a little awareness of what's going on makes it possible to overcome this. Now I'm going to add one more thing. So, you know, I'm a classic shy guy, which is usually also an introvert. When I do this, particularly when I'm in the social setting, not so much the you know, giving a talk setting, but in the social setting, and I do this and I'm really good at it, it wears me out. It really wears me out. And I need to retreat after that and go off and, you know, do something else, be by myself, you know, work on a paper, whatever it is, you know, that's sort of a regenerating thing. So that's, you know, that's the classic introvert. And that's, that's what I am. But I realize that. So I take a break. Can I ask a follow-up question there real quick? Because you said you practice. Your second point was that you practice being social. Mm-hmm. Are, there, are there any particular things that you're doing, or are you, just, are you just kind of forcing yourself to be into social situations? Well, you know, I, first of all, I, I guess in a certain sense, uh, I am forcing myself to do it because it's not my natural tendency. Uh, but the first thing I learned is that I can't be too polite. You know, if you're in a, a, a large group and everybody's talking, if I wait for everybody to stop talking, I'll be waiting all night. You know, <laughs> we have to once in a while just sort of break in there and, and you know, and interrupt. And, and that, that's okay. That's really hard for me to do. But I, I've learned I have to do that, not be too polite about it. The second thing I, I, I realize is that actually I have interesting things to contribute and maybe people actually would, would enjoy and, and like to hear what I have to say. And, 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 and you know, so overcoming the, the, uh, the confidence gap is, is an important thing. That's such a perfect lead in this um, book that I've read that I'm sure a lot of folks have heard of by Susan Cain called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. I originally read it because I would say that my husband is extremely more comfortable with being quiet. And, and I also think he has a lot of really interesting things to say, just as you just said, and that sometimes 
you know, the power dynamics in a world that is ever more interdisciplinary. And it's the nature of it is that there's a lot of kind of social watering holes where, as you say, you have to get your idea out there. It really has struck me as sometimes tragic how many ideas maybe don't get out there Mm -hmm. or different ways of thinking because maybe our, our structures are biased toward extroverted or gregarious personalities. So in addition to all the really good practical advice that you gave already socially, do you have anything specifically to maybe talk about in managing large teams as an introverted person? Is it that you are kind of following your own due north of what feels right? Or are you also kind of compartmentalizing, uh, which I love the stage personality and then the, you know, the true core personality. Yeah. You know, why do a lot of this, uh, you know, uh, managing or at least trying to, you know, help organize large groups. I'm a director of a center. We have a hundred people in the center and, I don't work with all hundred people, but I work with a lot of them in different groupings. And so, yeah, it's really um, something that I do all the time. And one of the nice things about that, from my perspective, is that if I'm the leader of the, the group, then I have a role. It's my job to be the leader. And I know everybody else sees it that way. And so it's easy for me to step into that role of the leader when it's clear that I should be uh, the leader. So that's an example kind of of the, the stage personality thing. So uh, I don't really have any trouble with that. But one of the really important things that I've learned, and it works really well, is that when you're the leader, you got to spend more time listening than talking. Sometimes you have to talk, sometimes you have to provide direction, but people have important things to say, and you, you want to bring everybody out. Now, since I'm a shy guy, I pay attention to the dynamics because I know there are other shy people in the room. And I try to watch and see if somebody is kind of behaving like a shy person, but really love to say something, but can't quite get up the nerve to do it. And so it's very important to bring out all the people, including the shy people. Once in a while, you even have to kind of tamp down on the, you know, the more, uh, extroverted people who like to talk a lot. So keeping a balance so that everybody gets to participate is a very important thing. And I think that's actually an advantage for a, a shy introvert person. If you if you recognize, you know, how it feels to be in that role. That's such a, a really great point about the empathy that you have kind of naturally because of understanding that. And then also the other thing that's coming to mind thinking about your compartmentalized roles and times when you step into one kind of role and for whatever reason, maybe there's discomfort in it. Maybe you have to stand up for yourself in a meeting, or maybe you have to say no to a student when you really would like to be taking care of them. And, and so just stepping into the role probably as a practice for any type of personality is a really useful piece of advice. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing is when you're a a professor, you know, your job is not to be a buddy to your students. I mean, you should be friendly and collegial with your students, but, you know, that's not your role anymore. And, you know, you have to be willing to give advice, even when that advice may seem kind of critical or you have to say no to something. But that's really an important important thing to do. Um, and, you know, people who work with me, like students, they quickly realize that if they give me something, say they give me a manuscript for a paper, they're going to get it back with some 
honest appraisal of where it is and what needs to be done. And, you know, and so it's not helpful to, to what we call pussyfoot around this thing. You're gonna, you know, you need to be very direct with people and give them, you know, the kind of feedback they need so they can improve. And then the whole group will improve together. What is that you always say, Christine, you're quoting someone who says that clarity is kindness. Oh, yes. Brene Brown says, oh, yeah. unclear is unkind. Clear is kind. <laughs> That's right. Euphemisms either. I mean, be direct about what, what you mean. If something's good, say it's good. If something's not good, well, say it's not good. And, you know, and be clear about what your, your expectations are, particularly when you're working with younger uh, colleagues like students. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why we started the podcast too, is because we wanted these kind of conversations to get out there. And just because a lot of times people aren't, maybe they're exposed to this, but in very brief spurts. And so to be able to hear honest advice from people, I think, and, and mentoring in the hundreds of people per episode, uh, it's, I think it's helpful for folks to get out there. And so thank you for being so honest about your personality and how you manage that. I think that will be very useful for folks. And I, I I wanted to kind of shift gears here because we were doing some of our homework for the podcast and I found something that fascinated me. It's, it's some personal, personal interest of mine. I noticed that you're actually on a site called you've 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 done some things that are creative approaches to funding your science so there was a site i found you on called the benefactor platform benefunder benefunder that's right sorry benefunder and so i wondered if you had any insights for people who were thinking about some of these new funding these new creative funding models because i mean obviously uh this isn't something that everyone is doing right now no but everybody needs funding (laughs) <laughs> get it exactly. we all know that that's the bottom line for all of us you know yeah i i took a took a shot with benefunder they were just getting started i was one of the first people who signed up and it was you know it was a modest investment of my time and a little bit of money and i said look you know if it really pays off then it's a big win and if it doesn't well okay it was a small investment and it, it's it's fine you know when you're in our business you have to do a lot of um kissing of the frogs there are a lot of <laughs> and you have to kiss them and not too many of them become the prince so you know that's just part of the business and whether it's a benefunder site or it's a federal agency or a foundation or a, a philanthropist or whatever you know you've, you've got to be willing to get out there and then give them your story and make your pitch on it you're not going to succeed on too many of them particularly when it's you know philanthropy or investors or something but if you don't try you know what the answer is the answer mm-hmm. is always no if you never try so if you try then you you at least have an opportunity to do it and so i i spend a lot of time trying and i kiss a lot of frogs it's so quotable <laughs> yeah extremely um and just what it brings to mind just sort of building in the habits of mind and habits of behavior to keep trying right a lot of the folks that we have talked to have really stressed the importance of volume and just keeping on going um, and not being defrayed by um, rejection, which kind of leads me into something else that I was curious about. So, you know, Matt mentioned some of your 
many objectively impressive successes. And, and I have seen from folks around me who have grown in their career and become world renowned and a colleague of mine who has, has called it micro famous. Sometimes depending on the room, it's famous, famous, you know, but I think it's wonderful when somebody's work really builds up and the merit is rewarded and recognized. And what I can only imagine is that this would change sort of how people relate to you and how um, maybe how it feels to be in your own skin. And so I was curious because of the very prevalent phenomenon of imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the imposter syndrome is really an important concept. And I think most of us experience this. I know I always, I have for always, and I still do, you know, from time to time, think, gee, I'm going to be discovered as a fraud. But, but then I think, but I'm not, you know, I mean, I can think that, you know, but it's never, it's really not true. And it was it was not true when I was an assistant professor, and it's not true now. So, to winning awards and getting all those things it does help, you know, reinforce that. Of course, I'm not really a fraud, even though I feel like I'm a fraud a lot of the time. But you, you know, the thing is, we all are going to feel that way. I feel that way. But the key is, you can't let it stop you. You know, you have to have confidence, and you have to keep pushing, and you have to keep shooting at the target because. First, nobody who's gotten to the position of anybody who was listening to this is a fraud. You're, you're not, we're not imposters. We all have great things we can do. Uh, we'll have setbacks. We'll have lots of doubts. But the fact that we've gotten where we are is proof in itself that, you know, we're not, we're certainly not frauds. So you, you're going to have the feelings, but you just keep going and you keep doing it. And then eventually, you know, you're going to get some successes and then you get more successes. But, but I want everybody to understand that feeling like you're an imposter is normal. And I still feel that way from time to time. That's so valuable. For sure. For sure. So near to the end of every episode, we do a little thing that we call the light speed round. And we try to make it light speed, like rapid fire questions, but I don't know how successful. It's kind of a joke now that our light speed round isn't so light speed, (laughs) but we're going to, we'll, we'll public questions in here and, you know, you don't have to necessarily be light speed, but we're going to try to keep our questions shorter. Okay. Okay. Let's go. All right. What skills that you learned outside the lab helped you start your faculty career? Well, the most important skill is communication and we do written communication and we do oral communication. Both of these things are important. I look at back when I was in high school and junior high school, my most important classes were my English classes. And so and it doesn't matter. It's not English. It's communication that's really important because you have to take information in and understand it. And you have to put information out to convince people, persuade people. It's really about communication. And the communication is itself part of research. It's part of the intellectual discipline, getting your ideas together. And so that's number one. That's great. Okay, next one. What is the impact you most will want to have had when it's all said and done with your career? Well, the most important thing, I'm sure, will be the legacy of the people with whom I've worked, particularly the younger people, the people of my, my students and my postdocs and my younger colleagues. There are people who are having success that's very satisfying. 
and they're promulgating good ideas and good concepts and good technologies out there. And then they're going to have their next generation. I've already got, you know, academic grandchildren. So this is pretty exciting. So the legacy of people and grandchildren and great grandchildren lives on. It can live on forever. So that, that will be my greatest satisfaction. People sometimes say, I don't know how you do it or how you juggle it all. Do you have a single sentence answer to respond to this type of comment? I'm very organized, uh, very structured in my time. I get up early. I work all day. I stop between five and six. I don't work at night. You know, I try to be efficient every, every minute that I'm working and I don't waste any time, but I have limits. I get tired at the end of the day, I stop. And so, so that's the number one thing. Also, I devote a lot of time to my physical, physical fitness because, and good eating so that I maintain physical and mental health together. Oh, I have a follow-on light speed round. See, this is where it goes awry. Uh, when, <laughs> when do you work out? Usually, I work out at the end of the day. That's my favorite time. Uh, you know, I'll leave my office at between 5 and 6, and I'll go to the gym usually, uh, and I'll do it. I like to do that because that's a break. My mind is tired. My mind is real tired from working, but my body isn't because I've been sitting at my desk most of the time. So mm-hmm. I can do something totally different, make my body work, let my mind sort of relax, and it's a good break, you know, to the end of the day. And I don't work in the evenings. Nice. Can you think of one piece of advice that you received early on that has stuck with you throughout your career? Mm. You know, not really. <laughs> so. <laughs> A good answer on that one. It's a good one. It's fine. That's actually a great answer. If people out there starting, if they're thinking, man, nothing that someone has told me has been the magic key, you can still make it. <laughs> yeah. You can you know, find it in yourself. That's what people tell you, you know, orally, but it's, you know, I've had a lot of good examples and I pay attention to good examples and I emulate. You know, the good features of people who are good examples. So I've learned a lot from people, but they didn't necessarily say anything directly. Perfect. I think that ties in perfectly with the, the idea that you're a, you're a quiet observer of people and that's how you absorb the, absorb the lessons, right? So thank you for joining us today, Dr. Rittman. We really appreciate you coming on the Helium Podcast and thank you so much for your time. Well, you're welcome. It was great fun. I enjoyed getting to know you better, both of you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to episode 22 of Helium Podcast. I think that was a great episode for anyone out there that believes that they are an introvert and they can never become extroverted. Dr. Rittman has clearly worked on this throughout his career, and he gives some really good advice about training your second self, I guess he would call it, or your stage self for being outgoing and putting yourself in those situations where you have to become a little bit more outgoing and a little bit more sociable. I also loved his advice about kissing the frogs of funding and how that's just a necessary thing throughout your career. You're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs. The notes with timestamps for this episode can be found at www.teamhelium.co slash episode 22. We are so thankful for you as an audience, and we really appreciate the time that people have taken to leave us reviews and send us emails on the show. Now, if you haven't left a review yet and you love the show, 
please go to www.teamhelium.co slash review it. And we show you exactly how you can leave a review either in your iTunes app on your phone or your iTunes on your desktop. The music for this episode was provided as always by Michael Blake, who can be found at mblakemusic.com. This episode was edited by Zach Hendren and produced by Christine and Matt. Until next time, remember that Team Helium is here to help you as an early career researcher land, master, and lead in your faculty positions. We look forward to serving you again in episode 23, where we'll be hosting Dr. Gail Hagler from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. See you next time.